Hello, last week we heard from Revelation uh, chapter 4 when our majestic God was on the throne surrounded by the elders and the living creatures. We come to chapter 5 and the lamb is on the throne. Chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Well, let's pray. Our Father, please may our response to your wonderful word be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm told there are two sorts of people in the world. There are those people who love Christmas carols and the rest. Uh, I hope you're a part of the first group, right, who love Christmas carols, and it's wonderful to sing them, and I wonder what your favourite one is. Um, for me, I think it's probably the Sussex carol, not well known, on Christmas night or Christian sing to hear the news the Saviour brings. It's uh, one for Christmas Eve. Angels from the realms of glory, I love that one. Um, I wonder what it is for you. As good as carols are, I'm longing that there would be another one. Okay. 
Now, it's not that the ones we've got are bad, okay, Silent Night, right, slows us down, doesn't it? Really slows us down, quite peaceful song, very good in our mayhem of leading up to Christmas. Angels from the realms of glory calls on people to worship Christ, the newborn king, very good. Hark the Herald speaks of God and sinners reconciled. That's the good news right there, isn't it? Here's the thing. I don't meet too many people who feel the need to be reconciled with God as their first order issue in their lives. It is their first order issue. They don't realise it. But I don't meet many people for whom this is their felt need, first and foremost. The issues that most people carry are much more, shall we say, immediate and much more tangible. Uh, We all live with pain of living in a broken world. Uh, We carry debilitating sickness, uh, disability, mental illness, relationship discord and fracture, uh, grief at losing people throughout the year, think back, sadness, almost despair over the sort of rolling evil that happens in the world. These are issues Christians carry, (laughs) it's not just, it's everyone, isn't it? In the last week alone, I just think I've connected with people uh, about the pain of divorce, suicide, grief, incurable illness, loneliness and breakups. That's me in the last week. These are the immediate issues that consume people, right? And sometimes when we offer carols which don't talk about these things, the news of Christ born 2,000 years ago, the good news we proclaim can seem out of touch, trite. The carol, I think, that gets closest to speaking into our world of pain is the one we sang earlier, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because it speaks of mourning, of being in exile, of the need, the felt need people have to be ransomed from captivity. This carol has depth and it gives hope to those who feel like they, they are carrying the weight of a world that is broken. But even then, yes, Christ has come, people still experience brokenness, our world still groans, evil still abounds, things are not made new. I would love a carol, a new carol, which sang a new song which connected Christ's coming with God's plans to make all things new. A Christmas carol which connected Christmas with what God now is going to do because of Christmas. And the good news is that there is such a carol, we just read it actually, Revelation chapter five, verse eight, describes heaven now and the heavenly beings around God's throne from last week in chapter four, we've got the four living creatures, you've got the 24 elders, and then in verse eight of chapter five, we are told they sang a new song, a new song. All right, this is after the first Christmas, after Jesus was born, it's after the first Easter. Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of the world. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended to heaven in glory and they are seeing him there and they sing a new song. 
And I want you to see that the song that they sing that's being sung in heaven now is all about the plan of God to finally overthrow all evil and finally restore things as we long for them to be. Because in verse one, John the Apostle looks and in his vision of heaven, he sees that in the right hand of the one on the throne, in the right hand of God, is a scroll with writings on both sides. Now, what is this? Okay, this is God's plan after Christ came, born, lived, died, risen, ascended. God's plan that follows on from that. Because of that, this is God's final redemptive plan for the world. It's his final plan to get rid of all evil, gather the nations to him, and gather his people to himself. And it's in a scroll. And it's sealed It's with not one sort of wax seal, but seven of them, seven seals. Seven means the perfect complete number. It's completely sealed. What this is saying is the plan cannot be put into effect unless the seals are broken. The breaking of the seals, chapters six and seven, is not the unfurling of the plan itself, but it's necessary for the plan on the scroll to be put into effect. And so when John looks into heaven and he sees the one on the throne holding this scroll, which really is the embodiment of all the world's hopes, the next question is the obvious one. Who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? Who is worthy to put into effect God's great plan for redemption? Who is worthy to get things moving to finally rescue the world from evil? Who is worthy to see things put right? Now, we are meant to feel the weight of that question. We note that it's the critical question, not just for everyone on earth, represented in this chapter by John, but it also is the critical question for everyone in heaven. It is posed by a mighty angel. It is proclaimed across heaven in a loud voice. It's not just mentioned, not just said, it's proclaimed, the word for preached, okay? It's issued to everyone in heaven. The living creatures, the 24 elders, as well as those many who haven't been mentioned up to this point, but will be. Everyone hears the question because they want to see God's plan enacted. But no one we read in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. No one was worthy. And we are meant to feel the weight of this. In verse four, John the apostle wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. You know, all of us, we grieve at different points quite acutely the brokenness of the world. And you've grieved this year, haven't you? You have. Sometimes we grieve at a distance. We see things on television. Sometimes it invades our life. We grieve personally, don't we? Well, usually we comfort ourselves with the hope that somehow God has a plan to put things right. But here John is seeing into heaven and he sees, yes, there is a plan, but it cannot be put into effect. John doesn't just shed a small tear. 
he weeps and he weeps. This is intense, anguished sobbing. It's the sobbing of hopelessness, despair, when there is no hope. Because if God's plan, let's think about this, cannot be rolled out, what does that mean? That means, yes, there's one on the throne, but evil triumphs. It means, yes, there's one on the throne, but famine, injustice, bullying, death, sin, and Satan, they win. They win. And to rub salt into the wound, if, if no one in heaven is found worthy to break the seals of God's plan and open the scroll and put things right, then any hope that we might have had because of Christ's coming evaporates. It's as if all that work that Jesus did in coming counts for nothing, means nothing. Just imagine for a moment the hopelessness, the sorrow, if that were the case. It wouldn't just mean there's no hope, it would mean that the hope that you thought that you had, well, you were deluded. It was empty. No wonder John wept and wept. But then in verse five, one of the elders, the 24 elders said to me, do not weep, see. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now this is Jesus. He is described in strong messianic terms as the conquering Messiah. Two terms are used, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of Judah. This comes from Genesis chapter 49. Jacob, the father of Israel, 12 sons. In his final words, he gives blessings to each of his 12 sons as he lies dying. And it's to Judah, his fourth born, whom he prophesied, to whom he prophesied strength and victory and dominion. Judah, your brothers will praise you your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Such strength. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. That is the prophecy, the blessing that Jacob gave Judah. Fast forward now, 1800 years, and Jesus is born into the line of Judah. And in his earthly life, yes, he may have appeared meek, but the reality is that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the conquering king. And, and the, the, the phrase, the root of David, also adds to this, it comes from Isaiah chapter 11. Yes, he is the conquering king, but more. And you know, you'd do well to go home and read Isaiah 11 verses one to 10. We're told justice and righteousness adorn him. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. And through him, there will be a new creation and a creation reconciled. We're told the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard and the goat will lie down together and that all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and the resting place will be glorious. Jesse was David's dad. So 
the root of David, the root of Jesse. This is such, such a glorious hope and picture. Do not weep. Do not weep, says the angel to John, the lion of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. Now, how has he triumphed? We will soon see, but the point is that where God is on the throne, and yes, he has a plan for redemption to put down all evil and restore all things to him, and when the call goes out across heaven, is there someone worthy to put this into effect? No one is found. Now there is such a one. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, in what follows, I'm expecting John to look and see something like that lion from MGM Pictures. This is when it was filmed in 1928. Can you? This is before occupational health and safety, right? <laughs> they are just in front of the lion's mouth. Can you believe? Anyway, you've seen it roar, you know, this massive roar of this lion. <laughs> okay. And that's what we're expecting now. The lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. And then John looks, and what does he see? A lamb, looking as if it had been slain. The lion of Judah triumphed over evil when he was slain. Now this changes things, doesn't it? It gives a new perspective. The cross was seen as many, as a moment of great weakness. But it was Christ's moment of victory and triumph. That is where he triumphed. That is where he conquered evil, right? So there are two perspectives of Christ here, right? When Christ came, his glory was veiled. He looked like a lamb. On the cross, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. That's what people saw. No one except the criminal next to him saw him as the king that he really was, still is. He was, to everyone else, a tragic slain lamb. And yet it was there that the lion of the tribe of Judah reigned against the enemies of sin and Satan and he fought by bearing sin's curse. He took it upon himself, he took it off us and he carried it himself and in taking away sin's curse from us and bearing it till, so he was cursed but it was, then it was gone. That's how he triumphs, right? He, what does he do there at the cross? He destroys Satan's power to accuse. Right, until then, Satan could legitimately have a place in heaven and say, guilty, that one, that one that you made, that one that you love, deserves hell, they are guilty. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, triumphs by being the lamb who was slain. He takes upon himself sin's curse and all of our guilt, and he bears the punishment in himself, and you see what he does. He robs Satan of his power now to accuse because he's taken it, he's borne it. He's borne the price. 
Okay, he's paid for our sin. He was judged in our place, he's taken it away. It's like, you know, all of the judgment against us was like this muck in a sink and he pulls out the plug and, and it drains down till it's gone. It's totally gone. He disarms Satan. He's, Satan is no longer allowed to accuse people for whom Christ died and who have accepted that. Can't accuse, can't accuse. He has triumphed. And that is why he's worthy. Because of what he's done. And also because of who he is. Where does John see him? At the centre of the throne, he sees him. Which, if you were here last week and remember chapter four, that is exactly the place that God is. You're not allowed to be on that throne unless, unless you're the Lord. You're not allowed to be encircled by the living creatures and the 24 elders who bow down and worship you unless you're the Lord God. And John looks and the lamb, where he is, is at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Now, I don't know of any chapter in the Bible which is so clear on the fact that Jesus is the Lord, God. This is the answer to anyone who thinks otherwise. Chapters four and five are a picture of heaven's throne room. In chapter four, God is on the throne. In chapter five, it is the lamb who was slain who is on the throne, Jesus. And that is why the lamb has power. We read the lamb had seven horns now. Horns in the Bible are a symbol of strength and power. You think of all those horned animals that clash and fight. Horns are a symbol of strength and power, you know. And seven, he has seven of them. Seven again means complete. He has complete power. And we're told he has seven eyes. Now, we're not, again, we're not meant to see a monster, right? We're, we're meant to understand what's being said. He has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What does this mean? Well, we're told that the eyes are the spirit of God, seven spirits of God. Jesus, the lamb, has them. He sees everything. Everything on earth he sees through his spirit, which is the spirit of God. He sees everything. Do you see what's been revealed about Jesus? He is the lion who becomes the lamb, the slain lamb, the lamb who is victorious, the powerful ram, that is him. He is the one who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because of who he is, God on the throne, the Lord, and because of what he has done at the cross. And so verse seven, he went and took the scroll from the hand of him who sat on the throne. John sees it. And when he had taken it, what happened? The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Now each of the elders and the creatures had a harp 
And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now in context, it's specifically the prayers of God's people to, for the scroll to be opened, right? for evil to be overthrown, um, for God to gather the nations to himself, to make all things new. Uh, they're the prayers that Jesus taught his disciples, hallowed be your name, may your kingdom come. It's the same prayer. And please see, these prayers don't just stay with us. They are taken right to heaven's throne room and they are not ignored. They come up as a fragrant offering to God and they are there before his throne. The elders are holding them. And because of the prayers of his saints and all of this, now comes the new carol, sung by the first elders around the throne, sung by the elders, sorry. Last week in chapter four, they sang in worship of God, that he was worthy to receive praise and honor and glory and power because you created all things. But now they bow before the lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. Why? Because you were slain. And that did something. With your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that means you've changed them. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. This is why Jesus is worshipped. He's worthy. Why is he worthy? To take the scroll and open the seals because of what he's done. Because at the cross, he defeated Satan. That is, you know, who is worthy to, to enact God's promises, to get it all going? Well, the one who's done the work already. <laughs> the, the one who's, who's accomplished it already. And now he's purchased people for God and now he has an army, an army of not soldiers but priests, that is his people, a kingdom and priests to serve our God, which means to bring God to the world. And he's therefore able to put into effect God's plan for redemption and guess what? It's going to involve his people as well as him. Sometimes we might wonder, you know, what is Jesus doing now in heaven? He's been there such a long time after he rose from the dead. What does he do up there? In the book of Hebrews this year, we discovered that he is serving as a high priest in heaven. Here, we get a different angle. This is something new. In addition to being a high priest for us, he is the one who's taken the scroll and he is breaking the seals and he is rolling out God's redemptive plans. Now the rest of the book, and we'll get into that next year, will show how that happens. But for now, it's enough to see that he is working to achieve God's plans for the world. And that's why the living creatures and the elders sing this new carol of worship. All right, but just in case your mind is still a bit not blown out. The camera in heaven now zooms out from this scene to see who else is singing the praise of the Lamb. John looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands 
upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. In the Greco-Roman world, 10,000 was the largest number they had. 10,000 times 10,000 is the biggest number conceivable. So here is a bigger view of heaven's throne room than we had last week. We had the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Here is this vast number of angels, this multitude as the camera sort of pans back. They encircle the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. What's the largest crowd you've been in that's yelled? All right. <laughs> Someone wants to, Beck, what was it? Semi-final, right, yeah. Your team wins. Oh, yeah! You know, what a roar goes up from the stadium. 10,000 times 10,000. I mean, how many is in the stadium? What, maybe 40,000, maybe? maybe. That's the largest crowd I've been. 10,000 times 10,000. In a loud voice, each of them. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Can you imagine? To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Seven attributes, seven complete, perfect praise. And if that wasn't praise enough, now the camera zooms out further. To every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. To which the four living creatures shoot back, say, Amen. And the elders fall down and worship. What a breathtaking view into heaven. What a breathtaking revelation of Jesus Christ to us. And this has to be one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, doesn't it? I mean, they're all good, but... <laughs> okay, what's the application? Well, in case you missed it, we are there in the chapter. Our prayers are in the golden bowls of incense held by the 24 elders. Application, pray. We are the one purchased for God. Think about yourself differently. We are the ones made to be a kingdom and priests to serve God, which means the point of your life is to serve God, right? We are the ones who will reign on the earth. What a great hope. It's our voices who will be giving praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb, along with every other voice of every being ever created by God, in verse 13, even those under the earth awaiting judgment who will not be able to help but just say, wow, when they see God and Jesus as they are. But if we jump straight to us, of course, we miss the application. <laughs> the elders get it right. When they take on board everything that's been revealed to them about Jesus, and they say, amen, and they worship, this is true, this is true, and they deeply acknowledge it. What's in that word, amen? So much is in that word. It is summing up everything that they've seen. It's like they're speechless after this 
they cannot only affirm as intrinsically true and right and good everything that they have seen. You know, it would be easy to say, well, this chapter, the point of this chapter is the great one to refute Jehovah's Witnesses who make Jesus out to be less than God, you know, because in chapter four, it's God on the throne. In chapter five, it's Jesus on the throne. And, you know, that's the point. That, that is true, but it would be to ignore the whole context of this revelation. And the context is the question, who is worthy to open the scroll and to fix up this mess and put down evil and see the world evangelized and the peoples of the nations brought to repentance so that God's kingdom is realized and creation made new. That longing that we have for that to happen. The weight of that question, let me remind you, is meant to be felt by us. The weight of that question ought to make us cry out, come Lord Jesus. Because it's saying he, he is the only hope for anyone. You know, I had hoped after this, um, after I sat down, for us to be able to sing the song, Is He Worthy, from Andrew Peterson. Some of you will know it. He wrote it on this chapter. The, the reality is we haven't got copyright permissions. We cannot do it. But it is a wonderful song, um, you can click on the link I was sent out in the weekly email to get that link. It begins with the question before the question. So the question before, who is worthy? Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. And I love the video because it's like this whole choir of people echoing this like a reflection of heaven. And then it asks the question on from that, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. He is. He is. He's the answer to our yearning. Amen? Amen. The next amen is to the revealing of Jesus as the one who simultaneously in heaven is the Lion of Judah as well as the Lamb of God. If you had to pick one as to which most naturally appeals to you, which characterization you most naturally gravitate to of Jesus, which one is it, the lion or the lamb? Jesus is mighty, Jesus is meek. I wanna tell you the reality is he's both and it might surprise you that one day you will worship him for being both the lion and the lamb. And the fact that those who see him as he is worship him now um, as both means that whatever our preference might be, he is worth loving as both and worshiping now as both. The lion and the lamb, amen? 
third amen must go out to what this chapter tells us about the cross. Crucially, it's the victory won by Jesus at the cross that means God's plan for redemption can begin in earnest. We're gonna cover more of that in chapter 10, but for now it's because of what Jesus did there that meant that he alone was able to take the scroll and open the seals. The cross makes him worthy because it's there that he wins the redemption that God wants to achieve. Through the cross, we were purchased by Jesus' blood. His blood was the ransom price to set us free from sin's curse. His blood was the ransom price to set us free from slavery to sin's power. His blood was the ransom price to take us out of Satan's domain. Freedom. Now, everyone loves freedom, but did you notice who we're set free to now serve? Verse nine, you are worthy because with your blood you purchased for God. Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Or verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. We are not purchased just to go free and be free agents by ourselves. We are purchased to belong to God. The cross sets us free to be in his kingdom. And we ought to see ourselves there. Amen? Lastly, the last amen. It begins by seeing what's revealed of Jesus here. You know, at the he is more than just our friend and our brother. I mean, he is that, but he's more. If you think that Jesus is just someone who can help you get that car park when you're stressed, <laughs> just, just study this for a moment. He is the sovereign Lord. He is on the throne as God. He, equal to the Father, is worthy of worship. And like Yahweh, he deserves our praise and our gratitude for who he is. He's on the throne. And for what he's done, his victory at the cross. And for what he's about to do. Amen. Amen.